0: Local heroes, the trees and the bees and doing it daily.
1: Welcome to the Local Environment Heroes Podcast, a podcast that brings you a series of chats with some amazing local heroes from here in Canberra and from further afield who are doing ace things for our world. The podcast is produced and supported by the Canberra Environment Centre, and your hosts are me, Fiona Vekinen, Director of the CEC, and Julie Bolton, a sustainability strategist based here in
0: Canberra. Okay, so Julie. Hello. Hello,
1: hello. This was a great episode.
0: This, like I know you're not meant to have favourites, but... This is very dear to my heart. Not only because I used to work at the same place that Kate now works at and I'd always wanted to meet her while I was working there because everyone said, oh, this is the person Kate, this is this person Kate. But we'd never managed for our paths to cross. So that, but also just because what she spoke about and how she spoke was so inspiring and so exciting. Yeah.
1: So our guest today is Wiradjuri woman, Kate Harridan an expert on water and she makes you totally rethink um, your relationship with water and particularly stormwater.
0: Wow, stormwater is a word that we should no longer use, right?
1: That's right. So yeah, Kate's really passionate about looking at the way Indigenous people have um, lived and thrived with water, including stormwater as in... Traditional cultures, stormwater wasn't even a thing, right? Well, That's it. Like
0: when you think about putting stormwater together, like what is that concept? What's that construct? And why do we manage it in the way we manage it? Like why isn't Mm. it left to be on the land and to reintegrate with the land? So it's that whole perception that language, if you don't stop and think about what language is actually saying to you, you just kind of go on blissfully unaware. And she, with a couple of loud bangs on the table and some – very good language thrown in there. Very robust. Very robust language thrown in there. Um, really makes you stop and think about this concept of stormwater.
1: Mm. And we're so, you know – inner city and suburban lives we're often so disconnected with where our water is coming from and where it's going and it's pretty weird that as humans who need water as our essential life force are disconnected from where it's coming from yeah that's weird yeah
0: we have this idea I think we talk a little bit about in our podcast and and since then Fiona and I have spoken about this idea of what happens if you could only be granted the right to live in a particular space if you've walked the waterways
1: Yeah, yeah, you get your Canberra passport, driver's licence ticked off, only if you know where your water is coming from and where it's going to.
0: And you've walked those waters. Yeah, so you
1: care.
0: Yeah, well, so that's the theory, right? Our theory then is... Well, if you understand where that's all going and what goes into all of that, then you start to care more deeply Mm. and and you understand the place. You start to feel embedded in the place that you're in and you might have a deeper sense of belonging, which therefore means, well, actually, I'm only going to have that three-minute shower because I've walked those waterways and I've seen that the Murrumbidgee needs all the water that it can get at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's my duty to have a three-minute shower because I care about the Murrumbidgee. Yeah. that. Yeah,
1: or even just caring about the um, the drain, the stormwater drain out the front of your place. Like, why should I bother clearing those leaves out of that stormwater yeah. drain? Those kind of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's
0: like it's an amazing chat. It's an amazing yeah. chat, and I think like, I'm not sure. Whether, I think I've got a picture of it somewhere where I took a picture where she was talking, and I think she's in a caravan talking to us from outside a park, and there were you know sounds of birds all around her, and just. She is one special human. Like, yeah. I really think this is a chat that just please stop everything you're doing and listen to it because mm. it's it's so thoroughly enjoyable and inspirational. Yep.
1: Kate Harridan,
0: Take it away. Local cool environment hero. I'm going to start recording. All right. Awesome. 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 So, Kate, it's so great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me all right um we're gonna get straight into it has there been a defining moment in your life where you've looked at the world and thought
2: something needs to change well funny this question is easy to answer because it's actually kind of like my um like an origin story at least for my research that i share in my um i share in lots of places but it's in my phd dissertation up front as part of the positionality statement but I grew up on Onogra uh, Creek, which is in Brisbane, literally on the creek, and um, used to go swimming. I had a favourite a favourite pond that was quite close to it. was like an easy to access part of the creek. It was quite close to the house, but it was lovely. It was like I was like 73, 75. So it would have been like five or six, maybe, maybe seven, closer to five or six, and so, you know, it would be perfect depth for a kid that height. It was clear. You could see the goldfish that people kept. I mean, at the time I didn't realize dumping goldfish was a bad idea. I was like, oh, look at the goldfish. (laughs) But it was lovely. It was clear. You could swim in it. You could sort of like hang on the side of the little, because it was a little, like a little pond type thing off the side of the main branch of the creek. Um, And every now and then after rain, it would be a bit murky. But it was only for a little bit. But then um, after one, and now that I think about it, now that I've now that I've had that date in my head, it might even actually been after the flood of 75. Um, that place you could no longer go to, no longer go to. It was just a disgraceful, dirty, turbid mess. And it wasn't until then that I realised that there was this great big concrete channel or <laughs> pipe at the top of it. <laughs> so obviously that was a stormwater site stormwater was discharged directly into the stream and like even as I tell this story every time I tell this story no matter how many times I still tell the story I still have a really visceral reaction to my distress and despair when I got Mm -hmm. to that site at at that that time because the other times it had always repaired returned back to what I'd known and this never happened and it just really like I walked past that at least twice a day going to and from the bus for school um and it was just devastating. That's basically the beginning of my utter dislike, very tempered word there, for stormwater, because it just totally mm. ruined that spot in the creek. And then, of course, over time, you could see how it ruined the whole creek. It changed the shape of the bank. It changed all sorts of things. Um, and, and I think I knew then something was fundamentally wrong. I didn't obviously have the quite sophisticated vocabulary that I like. didn't even really know what stormwater was, right? Um, now i'm writing articles challenging what stormwater is (laughs) but
0: anyway see we're actually going to ask you that that's that's our first question yeah yeah what
2: stormwater is that's well that's my origin story in a nutshell and people will tell you like people involved in mainstream water sector type urban water management will say things along the lines of stormwater is um the conveyance of water rapidly out of urban environments to protect property and prevent flooding and um, protect livelihoods, lives rather than livelihoods, protect lives. And it's always treated, there's this real thing, there's this real sense, and I think a lot of lay people have this sense that stormwater is an actual hydrological process, (laughs) Mm. but it ain't. It's a social, scientific and political construct. And... That's now basically what I argue is that stormwater is a construct made by and for specific groups of humans for specific purposes. Uh, fundamentally, it is about removing water very quickly from the urban environment. And what happens is that it basically becomes uh, like a pollutant superhighway, right? Mm. It's not actually. If we, if as a community, we had decent land planning rules, flooding wouldn't be an issue because you'd have floodplains. I mean, the, the The name is in the title, right? They're floodplains. So why are you building stuff on a floodplain, right? Um, And a floodplain is an actual geomorphological physical process. That is actually in response to an actual physical event in the environment. Stormwater is not. That's a direct response to the way certain human beings in certain places at specific times have felt about water. And essentially it's a control thing. It's about controlling water. It's about controlling the environment and thinking that human beings are somehow vastly superior to what non-Indigenous people call the environment but in actuality is country, right? And country is a living entity and it doesn't really like being covered in concrete. I often say, um, so for Indigenous peoples, water is kin, water is alive, water has its own responsibilities, obligations, rights. If water is kin, so let's say she's grandma, she's my badin, my, my, my my paternal grandmother, Would I treat my human paternal grandmother the same way I teach streams and rivers and water? No way. There is no way I would put my paternal or any of my grandmas or grandpas in a concrete straitjacket. That's what we've done with streams and creeks, right? That is just never going to work in the long run And, and the way stormwater operates today, you can see it's not effective. It's not working. It's not been a good construct. And that's why now we're moving towards things like water-sensitive urban design, nature-based solutions, green infrastructure, because thinking that we control the environment and concreting it to be what we want, which is essentially stormwater in a nutshell, um, doesn't work. (laughs) Mm.
1: So Kate, what, what can we learn from traditional cultures in terms of stormwater management?
2: Uh, I think we can use. I think the first thing we should learn is to stop using the term stormwater. <laughs> yeah. what, what should we call it instead? Well, it's just it's just urban. It's overland flow. It's just water. Overland. Yeah. Hits, when it's so, this is the thing with with stormwater. Once, so let me take a step back. In hydrology, water that's running across the surface of the earth is called overland flow. Once it hits any part of the concrete system, drains, gutters. Um, the culverts and stuff like that so not just not just the concrete in channel but the concrete on roads that's that are part of the stormwater infrastructure and fundamental the storm to the stormwater system once that water hits that piece of concrete it is suddenly termed stormwater Mm. and then becomes no-go water it's deemed polluted no good rah 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 let's just pretend that concrete's not special that is actually still overland flow We can just call it overland flow. When it hits the channel, it's called stream flow. If it hits the channel in a storm, it's called storm flow. If it comes into the channel through infiltration, it's infiltrated through its through flow. So there are plenty of words that actually much more accurately describe where in the environmental process that water is at, what processes that water has been through and is likely to go through and all of those things that I just described that are in the, the natural system also treat the water. And stormwater, once it hits any aspect of the concrete, and it, once overland flow hits the concrete and becomes stormwater, it is also removed from any filtration processes aside from the big picture stuff that, well, there's not much, there is not actually much treatment of stormwater. You might get a gross pollutant trap where you pull out big things like stormwater, like trolleys, shopping trolleys and, you know. Yeah small cars (laughs) you've been amazed what I found in 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 channels up against GPTs I could have furnished a house (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we can just call it whatever part of the the hydrological cycle it's actually in um, without using the term stormwater but my masters one of my masters sub theses I did some work with um indigenous peoples a variety of them not one specific group in Thailand asking them about stormwater and i had that my thai language is pretty damn solid and found a thai version of the word stormwater it's not quite it's not quite stormwater it's more like it doesn't matter what it really is so i had to actually explain what stormwater was and so when i'm out jung what the back of the provinces away way well away from bangkok and you know the periphery of thailand and i'm explaining what stormwater is and the purpose of it and why it came about they're going like, why the hell would you do something like that? So mm. what actually, I think the first thing we can learn from from, from um, Indigenous knowledges, Indigenous sciences, is stormwater is a construct. <laughs> wow. and when you explain it to people who've not lived with it, they do not understand why you would do such a thing. Yeah. And so
0: I don't think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask anyway, like, why Why? Why did we end up with stormwater?
2: I've alluded to that quite clearly. already. It's really about that notion of control that, that yeah. human beings. So it comes back to that Christian Anglo culture. Humans have what's the what's dominion over 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 nature? That's the that's the religious thing, isn't it? Like it all it comes out of bloody old Christianity, mm. um, and just that. Yeah, that, and so from Christianity gives that sense that humans of dominion over nature therefore we can control and do what we like because we are the masters nature is responsive to us and it was conceived initially in really 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 wet places like england and western europe mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. by people who had or as well as the christian mentality, they also have that feudal type i am the lord and i can do what i like you know so there's all these a lot of it really just comes back to this this sense of human it's more than agency. It's more than agency. It's like human superiority over every other thing. And and I will say it again, it's not every human. It's a specific group of humans. It's basically rich white men, right? They are who benefit not just from most things but fundamentally from stormwater because they're the ones who own the property. They're the ones who want to build the factories on the floodplains. They're the ones who want to make money out of selling houses on floodplains. So it suits them <laughs> to construct new yeah. things. But you know, when you get to a place like Thailand, and even to an extent in Canberra, but because we have a much more um, hands-on and interventionist-type government, you don't really notice it much. But in in Thailand, it's completely obvious that stormwater is totally dysfunctional. So for nine months of the year, nothing goes down them. Mm. So you get a lot of rubbish, you get a lot of little trees growing in them, you get a lot of sediment of little weeds and stuff growing in there. So when the first rain comes in the tropical downfall down, downpours, everything gets clogged up and banked up, and then the system fails because it's clogged up, banked up, so it's overflowing. Um, and then, of course, when all that's fine and cleared out, and, and sometimes in some places, the little trees growing in there are never removed. So the system can never, even when it's raining for three months of the year, the system still can't actually function efficiently. Hold like, Ideologically, efficiently because for nine months it's been a dry a dry system with things growing in it so it's really quite a specific construct for a really specific set of environmental and social conditions And but it's now just like most western things it's a colonizing influence right so now it's colonizing whole swathes of the world like you should be yeah. in parts of thailand now where they're building stormwater infrastructure and the amount of places that or areas that for want of a better word are untouched because everything is touched right human beings touch stuff anyway everyone touches stuff but you know it's not been modified or cut down or, or heavily developed are now being modified cut down and heavily developed and they're, they're doing like almost three times the width of the actual channel that they're building to, to provide the space for all the heavy machinery to make sure there's extra concrete To you know like that's a shitload of nature of country that's being killed, destroyed, and maimed for like a stormwater system that can never <laughs> work properly in that location. It's, you know, I've, I've just moved into rant mode. I feel like I've moved. Okay, big arm. <laughs> that's well, no, that's what we like. Our arms makes sense, but you can't see. Cause, but yeah, <laughs> no, but we could
0: hear their banging on the table. <laughs> um, so, nature-based solutions like one a one aspect of remedying or rectifying stormwater drains is that is that right? And what are nature-based solutions?
2: nature-based solutions is a bit of a it's a relatively new approach. It seems to be very top down. there seems to be a lot of momentum driving it from UN type organizations mm-hmm. um, the early, and in the UN documents and um, UNESCO and some UNESCO's, oh, UNESCO is part of the UN, isn't it? Um, they make it relatively clear that nature based solutions are environment, engineering environment solutions that mimic na- natural processes. And that yeah. there's, two, there's two aspects to it they mimic natural processes, and two, the ideas and designs come from Indigenous sciences Mm. now i've been following nbs for a bit and i was actually going to use it in my phd and ended up ditching it for this reason what is happening now in part because it's so top heavy like top down and in part because Mm. it's only people from rich countries that can deal with it at this stage um they've totally dropped this whole idea of using indigenous sciences
1: in the nature-based solutions
2: And that's why wow. i've stopped working with nbs because yeah. because and and i had a conversation with someone once at a conference a european guy and i said why what's happening with NBS? why are people moving away from the indigenous science stuff and he goes oh well, i don't know about others but in europe we don't have any indigenous people to which i said mm, i think the sami might be upset to hear that <laughs> um and so even if even if you believe and it's not true that there are no indigenous people left in certain places that knowledge still exists mm. we can still we can still use this knowledge and, and get inspiration from this knowledge to generate genuine environmenting, environmental engineering approaches that mimic natural processes um, mm. but, but there's become a bit of a morphing between water-sensitive urban design and nature-based solutions. So some of that more technical stuff that sits with water-sensitive urban design is sort of finding its way. People are trying to find a way to understand what's going on. So they're bringing... I can totally see what's happening and I, and I, I get it. I just don't... We've missed an opportunity to cut with the past and start anew because people are bringing in what they know. Um, and now nature-based solutions are sitting under the larger rubric of... Or the, the Rubric, sorry, teaching. The larger... Um, Structure of uh, green infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. So you know, trees on buildings is green infrastructure. Nature-based solutions are green infrastructure. So green infrastructure is becoming like the arching umbrella. That's what I want is the umbrella sitting over all of these things. And nature-based solutions itself is like a smaller umbrella under the big umbrella because there's stuff hanging off that as well. But sits sits broadly within the green infrastructure paradigm. And so people will say they're doing nature-based solutions stuff, but what they're doing really is water-sensitive urban design. Hmm.
1: So if if our water management system, say here in Canberra, was modelled off Indigenous knowledge, um, how would it look different to the current setup?
2: Oh my God, where to begin? So um, <laughs> Indigenous water principles, design principles for the vast majority of mob in Australia are pretty clear. The first is water has life and water mm. is kin. So that fundamentally changes the way you start looking at water, right? If yeah. you think that water yeah. is kin and that water is alive, it's not. And, and, and I'm really clear here, it's not water has life or water gives life, but water is actually alive. It has responsibilities. It's got its own stuff going on. It makes up its own mind about where it's going to go. Um, mm. So that's the first thing. Yeah. That's the first indigenous design water design principle. The second one is um, and this I, I said this at, at Hunter Water at a presentation at Hunter Water and they nearly died. Do not fully impede, never fully impede flow. And it took a moment at Hunter Water, but the penny dropped and someone said, Does that mean we can't build dams? I was like, ha 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 ha. Noah, that's what that means, and even 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 weirs like leaky mm-hmm. weirs. So leaky weirs I used yeah. in my PhD, um, and leaky weirs are in fact an indigenous engineering product. Yeah, leaky weirs exist in indigenous practices because leaky weirs aren't fully impeding um, flow. And leaky weirs, the leaky weir that I used, and the leaky weirs generally in indigenous, well, the leaky weirs that I've come across in indigenous sciences. Are genuinely temporary. So, you might use the leaky weir to direct water at the end of the rainy season into a wetland so that wetland's got a bit more water for a little bit longer. Because wetlands are really important yeah. in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander day to day practices, right? They're our supermarkets, that's where we teach the kids to swim, to fish, it's where you look after small babies. Like, they're really critical day to day sites for Indigenous peoples. So, you, that's one of the things that a leaky weir might be useful. Then, once the water's in that thing and obviously not much flow coming down anymore because we've moved into the dry season you will remove that weir. um depending on the material that's made of it may or may sit nearby for next season it may just not and you may just create a new one for next season which brings me to the third design principle um which is local material nothing is permanent and local material so it's probably two things nothing is permanent you need to accept that it's so And this is really easy for the buddhist in me right everything's impermanent so when we build stormwater infrastructure we talk about it being 80 years which is the life of most human beings 80 years before anything's required really to be done with it maybe little bits of maintenance but most Mm -hmm. most managing authorities most stormwater managing authorities have a pretty minimal budget for maintenance like some, Mm. some almost have a zero for maintenance and then a set and forget kind of thing for 80 years, and then you just yeah. put a new one in in 80 years' time. So, mm-hmm. and in a place like Canberra, for example, we're coming to the point where some of them are starting to turn over, yeah, 50 to 80 years. This is the time where we can say, No, we're not going to put a new fucking concrete drain in here. We're going to let we're going to pay the amount of money it's going to cost for years to pull it out and yeah. get the stream, and, and you know, have to help the stream restabilize, but essentially allow the stream to then forge its own way um Mm. and and um local local renewable materials so rather than importing sand from India yeah concrete (laughs) we would um so I just I used tried to find it wasn't always successful but I did try to find recycled wood from the local area or um pine from the plantations the local plantations to make the leaky weirs I wanted them to be leaky over not leaky under so, and and sorry, sorry, Kate, can you just
1: give us a refresh on what a leaky weir is?
2: Well, a leaky weir is basically you put something in the flow yes. across the channel yes. so yes. that it impedes most of the flow, but some water can still travel. So some water is still always going over. It's just a much smaller amount. Or it
1: goes and it's about slowing down the water
2: flow? Yeah, yeah, or? yeah. And, or, or the water might—the water will also go around depending on the height of your weir or the way yeah. it in starts. But so... The the stuff I've seen mob use it for is largely to direct water into another site. I was using them in my PhD in a more Western way to slow the flow through the stormwater channel, which is actually Mm Yarralumba Creek. All stormwater channels are actually creeks, people. Um, And what it did was it allowed the sediment to fall out. So I was getting a a series of like a chain of islands. Mm You know, like chain of ponds is the traditional. is Is the is the is the natural. Geomorph- geomorphological state for most streams and creeks in, in certainly Southeast Australia. So this is more like a chain of, of islands. And so that those islands were the sediment that was being pulled out by the slowing flow. And then you got animals using it, and, um, things were hunting on it, ducks started coming up and feeding in those areas, like it totally changes the, the vibe. <laughs>
1: the the uh, whole biodiversity of the area. We you, you actually
2: that. get some, right? Like in a stormwater. Yeah. No, there, there's not even there's not even one. I mean, there's a bunch of tiny little microscopic things, and they're being whoosh 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 down. But yeah, you know, yeah. I, I was getting ants, spiders. Uh, when the when the when it rained, I got some of those little loach fish. Okay. Yeah, up there. Um, and obviously there was more stuff. Oh, snails, obviously, little wormy things. Um, more stuff than I realized because the ducks were bringing their Ducklings up, mm. foraging. Yeah, like five or eight hundred meters upstream to forage in these sites. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what a leaky weir is It's something that allows. Yeah. It slows the flow, but it doesn't fully impede flow. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah. So when I was stuff, so I didn't want my leaky weirs to to leak under because yeah. I wanted to collect that to to for that sediment to accumulate. So um, I just ripped grass out and stuffed it with grass. Really? Yeah, I just took local materials. And, of course, after a big flush, I'd have to go and replace it. But did you hear one of the earlier principles? Nothing's permanent. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so that's yeah. okay. And that grass is constantly growing. And a couple of times yeah. I got there after government had done mowing so I just grabbed handfuls of cut grass, stuffed them in, stuffed them in, and you know. So I think they're really the, they're, they're the key fundamental principles that are that are high level and broadly shared. Um, so I'm happy to share with you know non mob, non indigenous peoples, but I know for sure that there's a push by by Ngunnawar people for Ngunnawal water design principles to start being used. Mm. Hey, Ngunnawal has already ideas about stuff for, for um, water. What, what, what would that look like? I can't speak on behalf of Ngunnawal. That's not my job. Oh. I can't do that. Um, I, I am assisting them in getting their stuff prepared for government, but it's not my place to actually tell you that. I can speak only to high-level stuff. Yeah, sure. Is government receptive to this? More receptive than I anticipated.
0: Yeah. 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 Do you think, um, are enough people thinking about this? No. Are enough peop- no. And why is that? Like, do you think people have just, I don't know, like we just turn on the tap and water comes out and that's the extent of our thinking? How do we shift that?
2: It's a tricky one. I think one of the fundamental problems is colonised minds. So we've all grown up in this system where stormwater is part and parcel. Like it's it's amazing how many people don't know stormwater systems, stormwater channels, are all creeks or streams. And then when people realise that, they're like, what the? Um, the people who are usually a bit more switched on about this stuff are people who live near them. Mm-hmm. So proximity is a thing. And so um, you know, I do some work with Nicola and Kirsten through Catchment Studio, and part of the, what we, a lot of what we do is bringing people into the channels and talking about the streams and stuff and and people from the whole catchment, <laughs> not, not just the two or three streets near the actual channel, but the whole. Yeah. Catchment. Um, and we go through a, a, like a decolonize your mind process, which enables people to become more receptive to these different ways of thinking, because I mean, I can sit here and talk to Lumblu in the face, but if your mind is so set on this idea, and I've had these kinds of conversations. I can see people can't get what I'm trying to say because but stormwater's a thing. We've always got stormwater. Yeah. You know, so um, so that's a really important part of it is that people actually need to go through a decolonising their mind process, which is tricky. <laughs> you know, it's mm. easy to do on your own. It's hard. Um, you know, challenging everything you've ever known is always... <laughs>
0: I had this moment a couple of weeks ago. I was at a um, an OzFish event, and they were talking about was someone there talking about the Molonglo River, and I realised it's <laughs> rather embarrassing story for me um, that I lived in Canberra for a very long time, and I didn't know enough. I don't, I don't know enough about the Molonglo, um, and the fact that Molongolo is being starved of water, and there's lots of things going on that really need to be addressed with the Molongolo River. And I had this thought, imagine if like you moved to Canberra or like within the first year of being in Canberra, like you have to walk along the river, like you've got to take a river tour. You have to realize where your water comes from and what damage has been done and what needs- The
2: price of local citizenship. yeah. Like okay. When you go to uni, you've got to go through an induction process. When you start a new job, you get inducted. Move to a new town. Yes. Get inducted.
0: <laughs> get inducted into the waterways. Yeah. Like this is what. I, and so I'm like, apparently there is a water walk coming up that I'm signing up for. Um, yeah. Because I like I totally think that's like, how dare I not know that? Almost. Yeah. I feel yeah. quite. Look, it's um, nice that you silly. think, how
2: dare I not? But again, colonised mind, colonised society. That's the way we're supposed to think, because mm. streams are for our benefit oh you know that's that's the reality though isn't it like if we come from a society that says human beings are dominion over the earth then why do we need to give a shit about them along below and if it's so it's not at all surprising and you shouldn't feel at all bad I, i think the better response is to decolonize your mind rather than go oh my god oh woe is me i fucked up it's like hang on a second there's something about the way we've been brought up yeah for me to take until I'm ever old you are to realise that I actually don't. Old. You know, Amazing. so it's actually, it's, it's much deeper than that. And which walk are you going on? Who's running that one? Um, so Ausfish, I think Ausfish or um,
0: Gin and Dairy, um, through one of their local land care groups, um, they said there will be like, I think it runs again, not until July or
2: August. Oh, so is that with Tom, ba- uh, Tom Baker? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I fell in love. With Tom or Gin and Derry or The River? Uh, Tom and The River, I think. I'll let him know. know. No, I won't. I'll keep (laughs) Strum. Because Tom's also involved with Catchman Studio.
0: Okay. And what's
2: Catchman Studio? Uh, We've got a website. But basically it came out of the work that Nicola and Kirsten and I did um, with the following Sullivan's Walks. And there's plan yeah. for it that we've set up this thing now so they're currently doing a um finding western walk i think next week is the second or the third the third walk of the finding western series and we've just been given funding for um gongarland over that site not gongarland um Ginadera over at belco yeah. yeah yeah that'll be next year um we haven't given a name for that one yet but they will be again the walks go from the top of the catchment to the confluence of so whichever it's Stream you're confluencing on, whatever yeah. that you're confluencing on. Um, so the walk with Tom. Does it include a positionality or decolonising your mind type session of any sort? I have no idea. But yeah, yeah. The, the walks were a really great idea. A few people, have, I think, have picked up the idea of doing water walks because they are. They were a really good way of working out what's going on. Um, mm. Has he got mob yeah. involvement? Is there a mob coming with? Because it. I'd- I don't I don't don't know all I know
0: is that I sat there and went I need to go on a walk with someone to talk me through this and to see it firsthand and to feel connected to it like yeah I want to know and then I want to I want to know why why is the malongolo so well I know why why is it so starved of water and why the flows the way they are and Like I think there's there, I know there's a campaign now, right? Bring the, is it Restore the Flow? I think it is. I haven't, I've heard, I I
2: don't know its name, but I did hear something just very recently, so it must be quite new. Yes,
0: yes, it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I think, you know, again, like I think this is really important for me and my life journey.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, The reason why I asked that about Indigenous involvement, because if you go with just whitey, they'll only give you the white history, They won't Mm. be able to speak to and they'll probably come from that colonised mind. They won't be able to give you the different way of looking at the river, which is not to say the walk will be no value because it still will be. It's just that you need to be conscious that you're missing, I don't know, 60,000 years' worth of knowledge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, exactly there's yeah but i'm hoping i I didn't know
2: tom was running these so hopefully he will has wrangled that because you know would hope that he's been well trained having worked with me in the catchment studio um and if he hasn't i'll be sure to give him a little out (laughs) thing yeah yeah i'm pretty sure that's who it was so did Um, you hear i think this is fucking stupid that victoria's where i'm in melbourne at the moment and so i keep it and i work down here so i try to keep an ear what's going on but on monday or tuesday Tuesday I was driving in on Tuesday the government announced that they're giving every student in grade 5 a complete fishing kit really now okay. I thought there was a small problem with overfishing in this country anyway um and I don't understand why of all the things you could do why it would be fishing like what if you live somewhere where there's no fishing spots what i don't know the whole thing just seems really weird like Of all the things you could give every year five to get outdoors and be more active, a fishing kit did not strike me as most immediately useful. And as someone who has more than once had to pull fish hooks out of my Hmm. body because people are woeful with cleaning up after themselves, the worst thing you could give someone in grade five.
1: Mm, I I have someone in grade five in my family and I I don't know.
2: I don't know think he needs that
0: mm. that's oh, really interesting that that actually leads nicely though uh, into our hero questions uh, so which could be if you weren't going to give them a fishing rod and fishing kit what would you give them but you've just been congratulations you've just been elected president of the world what's the one change you try to implement first
2: oh i get people to understand country and they were all part of country we are part of country <laughs> and that Country needs to come first. If we look after country, if, if, if country is healthy, we are healthy. You know the saying, healthy country, healthy people. That would be the one thing. I'm never going to get elected. I'll have to be a benevolent dictator. Um, I think that's okay. Oh, look, and, and my version of benevolence is much better than, I don't know, Donald Trump's. But, um, yeah, that would be what I would really like people to understand is country. Mm. We are country. What country is country is not just water and plants and animals it's not even that plus sky it's actually the sum of everything it's every single relationship you know it's my ancestors mm-hmm. it's those who are to come it's the dreaming it's everything um, and it's the mm-hmm. connection it's the relationships between everything that make country and from country then you get this sense of relational accountability which fundamentally changes how you engage with other people as well as the kind of science that you do so, yeah, that would be, if I was a benevolent dictator, is, you all have to get country. You all have to understand. That, I mean, it's a your mind process, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, Kate, it's 2030. Describe the world that you see around you. Screwed.
2: We're screwed. <laughs> Can Sorry. I not know what else to say? I am, not, oh. I am not remotely optimistic. I don't have any intention of pretending to be remotely optimistic. It's seven years mm. away. And... Mm. We still can't do the basics. I mean, Australia still mm. hasn't sorted its fucking recycling. Yeah. You know? And one would have thought that recycling was a little bit low hanging fruit. So 2030, we're screwed. We've tipped over the tipping point. We're very, very close to tipping the tipp to tipping over that tipping point. Mm. So do you think by twenty thirty five or Screwed. If we don't have it by twenty thirty, we don't have it. Yeah, I know. Because that's the tipping point, right? That's why you're asking me about twenty thirty, isn't it? Because that's that's the tipping point, and we're screwed. I mean, they're already predicting that next year we're going to crack crack one point five. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a bit earlier than they expected. So the models have consistently, consistently been over optimistic. So I don't I, I don't feel that that realism is being embedded in these models. In fact, I don't. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I've always thought for a very well for a very long time now, long before even people started putting you know dates on it and figures on temperature grant and stuff. Mm. I've always thought that in my lifetime, and I'm 54, that it, I mean, might 50 somewhere there. Um, that in my lifetime I would see the beginning of the end of the beginning of the end. You know, mm. and I don't see anything to suggest that I was mistaken and you know i'm not remotely apologetic for being so terribly pessimistic because for those who are wobbling around being optimistic that's how we get woeful models i mean modeling is already crap in the first place right the notion that that modeling can somehow reflect the complexity of a, of a colonial settler state life let alone the complexity of country <laughs> is laughable but when they are consistently proving so off the mark there's just no, there's no, there's no comeback for modelling. <laughs> and so there's no comeback for humanity. We're screwed. And it's okay for us sitting in Canberra or Melbourne or this parts of Australia. We will be, at least in the first instances, relatively well protected. I think about my friends in Thailand and it makes me want to cry. Mm-hmm. You know, they're right on one of those parts of the world environmentally that's going to like geographically rather that's going to get smashed and they don't have... The government support or infrastructure they don't even have like yeah they don't have all the layer on top of that that we do to do large-scale social support i mean they still have in some areas quite good sense of relationships and kin and stuff so like small communities might be able to to, to to do something band together and do something but large scale even a regional response like all of the northeast of thailand all of the south of thailand i don't think that's possible I mean, they're still struggling. They're still struggling to get over the tsunami twenty years ago. You know, and that infrastructure that they put in doesn't work. Parts of it work, parts of it don't. That infrastructure was put in with a view to not just the next tsunami, but large-scale environmental problems. And there are there are whole villages where they don't work.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah. Who are you? Right, right. Down. No, <laughs> oh, no. We're not gonna end yeah, okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Who are? but you know, that that all being said, um, who are your environmental heroes? Who gives you inspiration? What gives you
2: inspiration? Country. Certainly country, because it just like and p- particularly today, like I'm in Melbourne and country's being smothered. I can feel it f- suffocating. But yeah, it's still trying to do its thing. You know, I still see animals moving and you know, I still feel the ancestors sometimes. I still feel that country's here, but I can also feel how it's trying really hard. Country is a hero, but honestly, it's all of, anyone of a thousand indigenous elders who've been bashing their head against the colonial system, who are still bashing their head against colonial systems. You know, I was speaking Mm. to Uncle Wally the other day. He's been at this. Since before I moved to Canberra, and I've been in Canberra since 1994, he's still at it. He's got grandchildren now. Mm. Don't you think he like wants to settle down and have some version of a quiet retired life? And but he's still out there trying to save tree by tree by you know. And if people like Uncle Wally can keep doing it, then I have no obligation. I have no choice but to continue. Like I, that's there. Yeah. And, and Uncle Wally is one of thousands of elders who yeah. do this work day in and day out because they yes. know that country is the hero.
0: Yeah. His welcome to countries are always so moving. They they are are so
2: incredible. He gave us a welcome to country at the first of the walks for the following Sullivans at the top in Guru Yuru. Holy Mamoli. Talk about. Feeling the ancestors and hairs on the back of your neck. And I've been to a number, I love an Uncle Wally welcome. Um, yeah, just amazing.
1: Cool. And Kate, um, do you have any hot tips for being more environmentally friendly or aware?
2: Uh, I reckon stepping right back up from being environmentally friendly and aware to being Indigenous friendly and aware would be a yeah. good start. So I think I think non-Indigenous people need to recognise they need to educate themselves. So mm-hmm. you can't just you need to know the country you were born on and the country you're living on at the very least. Um It'd be nice if you could speak a couple of words in the language of your country. So for those of us in Canberra, Yuma is hello and Yara is goodbye, Dajimba is thank you you know, um, and finding out for yourself a little bit of the colonial frontier history of the place where you're living. Don't go up to your local Blackfield and go, ah, oh, so tell me about colonisation. Because people have trauma. There were, There has been at least one massacre in the ACT or the ACT region. People need to find out about that. Hmm. People need to know that you can't go up to someone like an Uncle Wally and say, has there ever been any massacres here? Because it might have been his family. So you actually have an obligation as a non-Indigenous person to learn some stuff about this country pre-1788, especially the hairy stuff because it's hard, it's unfair to ask survivors of that, those kinds of questions. Um, and I think once people start doing that sort of questioning, it's a, that's a decal in your mind type process. You start to become aware. I mean, a lot of people don't know there was that massacre just on of mm. Canberra, right? Um, and I'm not really allowed to talk about it other than to say there was one, Um, because that's not my story. And the people whose family it's from are 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 traumatised by it. Mm -hmm. So I really think it's very, very important that non-Indigenous people make a concerted and sincere effort to educate themselves about the country on which they are standing and the history, the colonial invasive history of that country, and also what they can of the pre-invasion history. And then from that, then you start to realise how powerful country is. And then all that other stuff falls into place that availability yeah. to country then means that other stuff falls into place mm. yeah. cool.
0: our final question um do you have like another like a, a different key message or a slogan or a
2: quote that you live by that you'd like to leave us with Yinjamarra. Yinjamarra. Yinjamarra is a viradjuri word it's um also essentially our ethos it's the way we're supposed to move and function in the world um yinjamara on the surface so i've given you like the deep meaning it's the way we're supposed to move around the world on the surface it means like to go slow be respectful be honorable be polite be considerate um and Indigenous languages are amazing, they're so sophisticated. So, and a lot of us might have learnt this stuff in school but totally forgot ver- transitive and intransitive verbs. And transitive and intransitive verbs are really important in, in certainly Buradri, but most of the, the Indigenous languages I've come across on this flat brown land. So, Yinjamara, the double RA at the end there, is it makes it a transitive verb. So that means it's something that's moved between people. Like, mm. I can feed you, but I can't sit you. You know what I mean? So sit is intransitive and feed is transitive. So because yinjamara is a transitive verb, that means I give. I can't ask or demand or give myself like, I, like, like It's not like I can sit yinjamara. You know what I mean? Like I can't yinjamara like I can sit. I can I can only give yinjamara and I have to give yinjamara pretty much all the time. And even when I'm rousing on someone, I still have to do it in a yinjamara Way. I still have to be honorable about like I still have to be respectful like I can't just start swearing randomly at old white men Go, you're a fucking mother I've still I've got to be respectful in the way I engage when I'm disputing or going through conflict like you know so and anyone who's been paying attention to the Stan Grant leaving the ABC thing that is I was just gonna say his his speech that that was it wasn't
0: it it was about respect and i'm sorry if i had i'm to sorry
2: like, I, messed oh me. I messed up that's the my. i didn't do my job properly i wasn't respectful i go so slow enough with you all for you to come with me it was mm-hmm. so
0: incredibly powerful it was like those words were everyone needs to
2: study that i'm hoping that it does become something like that that it does end up a document that people do actually refer to i didn't see the whole thing i only heard i came in just at the end and all i got was the language the 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 the, 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 Nicholas, the stuff and i was just stoked because i understood it i was like oh my god it yeah. <laughs> I, was like, oh. Like, I understood every word i knew exactly what he was saying um and it wow. was just for me that was a, a personally a very powerful and affirming moment but yeah he absolutely him banging on not banging on him extolling to Australia, yinjamara was beautiful. Like and so yeah, yinjamara would be my key message. It's it's totally changed how I function in the world. It's totally changed the way I go about my research. I still get cranky with the old white men, but I try to do it less ferociously. I mean unless they need it. And you know it gets to a point where I've, you know <laughs> and then <laughs> I colonized and then my white brain, because I was raised white, right? So then my white my white woman just steps in and goes. Now you, sir, need to be. <laughs> I, I tried, I tried, but you weren't hearing the Injimara. You weren't hearing the Maradjy. You? <laughs> you, you are working in colonial space, so let me join you in your space. <laughs> oh, so I'm, 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 I'm kind of fluent in the two, right? Like I'm much more fluent mm-hmm. in, in Anglo culture than I am Miraji but I'm not bad in Mirajiri. Um So it's easy for me to step into that white space and be white, right? And I'm ferocious when I've got the shits. I'm ferocious. So um yeah, Yinjumara. Thank you, Kate. I it's love been it. Such a pleasure. Make sure you keep that ferociousness. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. I gotta say, I've always had it and it seems to only be ratcheting up. <laughs> As <I've been> always, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I'm not even with managing it, but it's definitely ratcheting up. <laughs> Thank
0: you so much for your time. And I love it to chat to you both. Mandangu, thanks. Local Environment Heroes, saving the trees
1: and the bees, and doing it daily. Local Environment Heroes is recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, the traditional custodians of the Canberra area. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and we recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and communities. Subscribe to the Local Environment Heroes podcast wherever you find your podcasts and keep in touch.